I'm your host, Sarita, along with my co-host, Dr. Sylvia Shipman. Welcome to a Burning Love Moment podcast. We will discuss topics associated with drug abuse and addiction, as well as assist individuals struggling with everyday life issues. This podcast is about helping you move from a place of shame and embarrassment to one of power and boldness through a relationship with God. Get ready to be equipped and empowered to take back control over your destiny. Welcome to a Burning Love Moments. for joining us. Welcome back to another episode of A Burning Love Moment. Happy Black History Month. We know that people are out there celebrating and hopefully you have been able to partake in the many celebrations, acknowledging the history, achievements, and influences of the Black community. Now, we don't want you to forget to continue to uplift our Black creators and businesses and advocate for equality and change in our communities. Yes. This is an amazing day. My co-host, Dr. Shipman, and I, we have an incredible individual with us who will reveal how she was in the boxing ring of life. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you were getting knocked down by Thing after thing after thing in your life. Well, our guest was dealing with alcoholism, drug abuse, and suffering from an eating disorder. She was having a full-blown out fight of her life. And at this time, we want to give you the opportunity to go ahead and make those calls, send that text message, Mm -hmm. um, do a video chat, FaceTime, email, whatever you need to do to reach out to someone that you feel that should be listening to a Burning Love Moment podcast on life101radio.net. Absolutely. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Sarita and I are delighted to be with you, and I know you cannot wait to hear from our guests, as always. God Almighty has a plan for your life. He wants you to be restored from every stronghold that has hindered you, as he did it for our guests, as you were here, he will do it also for you. Yes. And as we stated, you do not want to miss any of these episodes. Get yes. ready to be inspired, empowered to effect change, not only in your life, but the life of your loved ones. Yes, yes. And we want you to know that we are not psychiatrists, nor are we psychologists. We are licensed ministers on a mandate from God Almighty to bless his people. So I'm going to take us into prayer and um, we're just going to give God the glory for this podcast. Lord God, we thank you 
For our special guest today, we thank you, Lord God, for Life101Radio.net, and we thank you for our listeners, Lord God. We ask that this podcast will bless someone, Lord God, change the trajectory of someone's life, Lord God. And I pray in the name of Jesus that Dr. Shipman and I will say something that will encourage those who are struggling with drug abuse, those who are dealing with um alcoholism, and those, Lord God, with an eating disorder. So, Lord God, we give you the praise, honor, and glory because you're the one that changed lives and you will change everyone's life that has a desire, Lord God, to um, be broken from these strongholds on their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We thank God for using you, Pastor Sarita, for that awesome prayer. And we're excited for what God is about to do. Pastor Sarita, you know, I I know I can testify this and you probably can as well. From many testimonies of those experiencing alcoholism, substance abuse disorders, and Mm -hmm. other addicted uh, behaviors, Mm -hmm. uh, many have stated that it's not a problem Mm -hmm. until it becomes a problem, right? Right, right. We like to call that denial, okay? Mm -hmm. Yes. At first, it may seem as so. However... Sometimes and most times, these things that are so casual in our mm-hmm. eyes can become a habit. And as exactly. you hear the testimony of our dear guest, you're going to find that out. So, however, whenever there's a harmful situation that's not dealt with, just keep that mm-hmm. in mind, listeners, it will become like a deadly disease in your life. Yeah. Now, I'm yeah. talking about harmful situations, and you all know what those harmful situations can be, such as overlooking the strongholds of addictions. Mm -hmm. If these acts are not addressed, you leave the door open for other strongholds to invade your life, i.e. as our guest. She developed an eating disorder along with the the things in which she's going to share with us, okay? Others may find themselves experiencing addictions as well, such as addiction, a sexual addiction, mm-hmm. gamblerholic, yep. stealing, and heinous acts. Mm-hmm. Now, these are acts that you want to take to your grave. They are so mm-hmm. horrible that you don't even want to discuss them. And mm-hmm. these, this is because you left the door open and have not dealt with the strongholds of addiction. It brings other a means of the enemy to bring other um, avenues to bring another addiction into your life that can be deadly to you. However, I know it's easier said than done, but when you first notice things are out of control and you have no willpower over these acts, that's the very first sign to know, hey, this is a problem and I have no control. So please seek help immediately. There's no time to be passive about addictions, my beloved. There's no time for that. Let's be honest with ourselves and our loved ones. Addictions feed off one another. Would you say so, Pastor uh, Sarita? Absolutely. Absolutely. What you said, you hit the nail right on the head, um, Dr. Shipman. And a lot of times families are in denial. They Mm -hmm. don't want to address the elephant in the room, what is going on with their loved ones. And, you know, I know all of us and families, we have someone that has a problem and uh, 
What about you, Dr. Shipman? Do you oh, know? Yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad you asked that because this just happened. This just happened within a week. Mm. Actually, well, Sunday began our weekday. So I just came out of it. I had a loved one to call me up. Mm-hmm. And of course, we've been talking, you know, and I have been encouraging this person because they reached out to me for mm-hmm. help. I located uh, a substance abuse for them to get help in their local area, right? Right. Did not go, talked themselves out of it, did not participate. I get a phone call this week that we, last week that we just came out and said, you know what? I'm doing it on my own. I am no longer going to do uh, alcohol. That's what came in my ear gate, right? Mm-hmm. I'm doing it on my own. So what I decided to do is instead of me doing the alcohol, I just began to just do uh, smoke me some marijuana. Now, Pastor Sarita, you know, I went in, right? right. <laughs> can you believe that? That's what people do. They think they can take away one thing and bring a substitute. So, of course, I went into my coaching mode just a little bit, but I was firm because it's my loved one. Don't play with this addiction. You're right. playing with fire. So I told my loved one, you're playing. You're not yeah. serious about this. How can you leave one thing and think that you got a control over and then go right into another substance? Right. And his, his thing was because I wasn't smoking marijuana when I was drinking all my alcohol. So I'm letting mm-hmm. the alcohol go. I said, you're feeding the addiction. My exactly. beloved listeners, you cannot leave one thing and go to another. But it was very, very intense with my loved one because I was furious mm. that he was going to bring that to me and think it was going to be okay. Just because he said, I'm going to do my own, uh, uh, you know, uh, treatment. That, yeah. For him just to say, I'm going to step away from the alcohol. I'm good. Now, guess what, Pastor Sarita? Not only did he say that he began to smoke the, the marijuana, he said, now, I, I am, I am going to be honest with you. I'm having one beer because when I was going to go to the, um, when I was going to go to the rehab that we found, the gentleman told me it's okay if you, uh, you know, gradually take part of the substance as a wing and all. I said, no, that's not so. You were informed incorrectly. Hmm. Yeah, but it was a very, very intense uh, conversation with my loved one. I let him know, look, do you not know that beer is part of alcohol? I mean, he was just trying to justify every mm-hmm. means of his action. So when I tell you addictions feed off one another, they do. Now, mm-hmm. I do not know what my loved one, but I did share that I know that God is dealing with him. Mm-hmm. Because if he's coming to me, I know that he's running. And, and, and this is a great, I did not even think of this to just now. God set him free from drug use, alcohol use, smoking and everything. It was a, an experience he never had with God that some of my, my friends that does deliverance ministry took him through. Mm-hmm. He was so in awe that he couldn't drink, he couldn't smoke, he couldn't do none of those things to the point it, it messed him up to the point he just wanted to prove God wrong. So he kept knocking that door down of deliverance, knocking and knocking and knocking till it came down to now the addiction is worse than he did when he got delivered and set free. So when I tell you, my beloved, let's not play, play with these addictions. Be honest with yourself and be honest with your loved ones. But that's, that is the story that I just experienced on last week with one of my loved ones. You know, that that is amazing because a lot of people think that, and, and I, I use this word, I said it's self-destruction. Okay. When you think you're going to 
um, overcome your addiction by yourself. You need some help. And it's usually long-term help that's needed. Unless you receive that supernatural deliverance from God, and that can take place too. But if you're looking to go to a, a treat, you know, really and truly kick that addiction, you need to go into a long-term um, rehab so that you can be able to handle all the things that you are going to come up against and have that support system. We need that support system there. But, you know, we, we, um, we, we're just excited about the conversation today. Yes, and I pray yes, that, that yes. all the listeners are blessed. We are going to take a short break. We will be back. Yes. yes. For the best custom-made jewelry that showcases style and elegance, check out Ken's Jewelry at Morningside Avenue, Scarborough, Ontario. We specialize in modern, contemporary, and vintage styles. All of our designs are crafted with passion, using the most exquisite gemstones and diamonds. Jewelry has no boundaries, so if you can think it, we can make it. Check out Ken's Jewelry at Morningside Avenue, Scarborough. Call us at 416-293-7181. That's 416-293-7181. Ken's Jewelry. Do you suffer with addiction issues? Do you want to stop it for good? and get your life back on track. Burning Love Outreach Ministry is here to help you. Founder and President Ms. Sarita Jones shares her powerful jaw-dropping testimony about her personal experience of being addicted to crack cocaine and having numerous wants issued for her arrest. She does it out loud and personal where you will not have to suffer in silence. Please visit her website at burningloveoutreach.org. You can comment on the page. You can submit your prayer requests. You can give your testimony. You can reach us also on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to the YouTube page and LinkedIn as well. You are not alone. Don't you give up and don't you give in. And please don't you give out. Burning Love is here to help you. Burning Love Moment. Well, welcome back, everyone, to a Burning Love Moment podcast on Life101Radio.net. We want you to go ahead, like I said before, reach out to someone that you feel may benefit from listening to our discussion today concerning alcoholism, drug abuse, and eating disorder. Well, today's special guest grew up in Whitby, Ontario, and moved to the beautiful city of Toronto 12 years ago. She is a leader with Celebrate Recovery and very active in her church. Now, our guest loves and use as part of her recovery, um, fitness, faith, and recovery on social media as one of her favorite pastimes. I want you to help me to welcome someone who holds the title as queen of relapse, the queen of relapse. And you'll get that later, why she has that title and she wears it because that's something that she was dealing with during her, her time of using. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me to welcome Ashley Palmer. Ashley, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, ladies. Uh, 
Dr. Shipman, Pastor Sarita, I am so excited to be here with you. I am honored to be part of a burning love moment. And I just pray that um, even if one person uh, takes something away from my story, then God has done his job. So thanks. Thanks so much. You are welcome. You are welcome. We know that you took um, quite a few blows in the boxing ring of life to say the least. And if you were to compare where you are today versus where you were a few years ago, one would say a definite transformation has taken place in your life. Um, do you agree? Holy smokes. Yes. Like I, when I look at the Ashley, I was to the Ashley I am today, I don't even recognize her. And sometimes I get anxiety thinking of my past life, but I use it as a tool. I use it as a tool to keep me where I am and to keep pushing forward and asking God to guide me so I don't go back to the old me. Oh, that is such a blessing. Yes, yes. Now, Ashley, you lost your mother at a tender age of seven. Mm -hmm. Now you are with your father and siblings. Yeah. After, the, after your mom's death, you began twitching. Yeah. Uncontrollable. Kids made fun of you. Some people ask you to stop twitching, but yeah. you couldn't. Now, yeah. we know that was, I can imagine that being a problem at a young age at seven. Later, yeah. it was determined you began twitching because of the trauma you witnessed. Correct. Tell us more about that experience at age seven that you experienced when things started to begin that turmoil in your life. Can you share with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is kind of where I, I believe, um, you know, my whole journey started um, is um, so my mom uh, was an alcoholic and um, long story short, um, I had woken up in the middle of the night one night and I had heard her moaning mm -hmm. and I, you know, just just being me and curious, I, you know, crept over and I noticed um that she was in, in the room and I went and I peeked in and, and I saw my mom and it was during the time that she was suffering. And, um, uh, she, she was, um, actually she drank, she drank, I found this out later in life. She drank liquid hairspray because she had been going through, um, uh, she was sobering up and everything. And, and I guess that she got desperate and that was what was around and, and it was basically killing her. And I unfortunately had been the person to find her suffering from that. And, um, she did, she did pass away, uh, about 24 hours later. Mm. And it was, a, it was a really hard time for me. I was very confused. Um, and it, it wasn't talked about. It was once that happened, uh, no one said anything to me. We kind of just moved on and lived life. And, um, I just kept, kept living my life. And it got to the point that I, I was, I I'm thinking it was a couple of years later, but I did start twitching and, uh, it was, it was very uncomfortable. I, I couldn't control my own body and I was already, you know, just such a confused child. And I was very temperamental. Like mm -hmm. I would, I was a little drama queen when I was little and I would, stomp around and yell. And, you know, that was my way of reaching out for attention. And when I started twitching, it was extremely noticeable. I would gulp in my throat every 10 steps. I would stop to touch the ground. I would twitch my shoulders and my arms and, and, you know, my family at the dinner table would say, Ashley, stop it. And I couldn't. And, mm -hmm. and to, to have someone reprimand me for something and make me feel shameful for what I'm doing. And I literally cannot stop it. It was, 
it, it, it was so hard for me because I wanted to stop because kids were making fun of me. People would always ask me if I was okay and why I did it. I didn't know why I did it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, you know, I had no idea what it was, but it turns out uh, in therapy, many, many, many years later, the therapist kind of said, well, you know, it's probably most likely due to the trauma that you experienced. Right. And I had no release. No one ever asked me about it. Um, and we can get to that later, but no one knew what I had seen. So they probably just thought I was a troubled kid uh, and I really was, but they didn't know why. And so it was, it was a really hard time for me not being able to control that. Mm. You know, we have to be very, very careful with individuals and, and, you know, kids can be cruel, adults can be cruel. And one of the things I remember telling my children when they went to school that, they knew that they would really and truly get in trouble if they ever picked on anyone. If I ever found out that they were a part of being bullying of anyone or picking and laughing at someone because they are different, they knew they were really going to to get in trouble with me because I was picked on too in school and it did not feel good. And, and nowadays, you know, people commit suicide mm-hmm. and, and in their lives over the fact that kids are laughing and picking on them. So I'm, I'm one of these advocates for parents to please instilling your children to not, you know, um, talk about someone else or pick on another child because of their differences. You, know what? you don't know what's yeah. going on in their head. Yeah. Sorry. I'm so uh, excited that you bring an emphasis on that because people get it even in their adult age, they bring that trauma of that bullying and all of that, that they're so traumatized emotionally that they are depressed at an older age because of that bullying and being picked on and talked about and all of that in their childhood that they cannot break from that. So you're absolutely right. That do that too is another thing that needs to be addressed in our community. And Ashley, I thank you for, for stressing to us that trauma because that trauma led to what in your life? What happened after when you said that my life was not as how did you describe it? You wasn't a trouble child, but what would you call it when you acted out? You were a trouble yeah. child. I mean, I I was a troubled kid, but I was a trouble. <laughs> I was more troubled internally by you know my my stresses and the, and the trauma. And so what had happened after that was you know as I got older, here comes high school, and right. so you know, you go into high school and then you're meeting all these new kids and you're really trying to fit in. And it's already scary enough going into high school. And I had gone into high school already having such a fear of rejection. I've already been, you know, made fun of growing up for, for the things that I've done and who I am. And Mm -hmm. so I was hanging out with some friends and uh, and this is like grade nine. And one of my friends had two sisters who smoked a lot of weed. And so my friend, you know, stole a bong and stole some pot. And in grade nine, we went and smoked up in our garage. And that was the start of me being like, okay, like we, we had so much fun. We were laughing. There was not a care in the world. And that right there was like, oh, oh my gosh, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about who I was and I wasn't worried about being judged. And this was just really fun. And I felt connected to my friends. And, Mm -hmm. and from that point on, it was like every weekend, whoever we could get to have their parents, you know, take some alcohol or find some weed. Mm -hmm. That's what we did like every weekend, uh, if, if not during the week, but that was a way that 
because of the hurts and me just, I was, I had a lot of self-hatred. I didn't like who I was. So it was a way for me to get out of myself. And so it was a way for me to escape. Mm, okay. Yeah. You know, go ahead. I was just saying that I wanted to interject that because sometimes we, we as outsiders with our loved ones, we don't recognize that we have to get to the core of the issue why that person is in that behavior. Sometimes we're just so angry and frustrated that they chose this thing, they chose to indulge and not knowing that there's a root cause to it, you know? And you just gave us some great pointers why you did what you did. When you, even though you didn't know you was gonna feel that way, but this is my answer, you know? It's yeah. not, it's taking away my pain, my, my yeah. pitiness, you know, my anger towards myself. This have given me the answer. And sometimes we don't, we overlook that. Would you say yeah. so, Sarit? Possibly. Absolutely. And, and, and at this point you're just smoking pot, right? And you're feeling yeah. this. So when did the alcoholism um, make its way on the scene? So the, the pot started like in, in grade nine, but the alcohol I think was pretty much the exact same time. It, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of went hand in hand because on the weekends, you know, you know, my friend with her sisters having the pot, it was like, okay, well, you know, my sister's old enough to, to buy us, you know, two fours. And mm-hmm. I mean, whatever we could like revs at the time was a big thing. I don't know if you remember revs. It was like bright blue, pure, like pure sugar. That was like the thing that we went to. So we tried to steal some revs or like Mike's hard lemonade. Um, and it was pretty much the same time. Um, it, it was alcohol and weed for a couple of years. And then I went to the next level. But so you're feeling good and you're liking this. I am. I'm, you know, doing okay in school. I'm feeling like, you know, I'm going through the week. It's, you know, just monotonous. But, you know, when I'm partying, I just, I love the attention. Like I'm flirting with boys and, you know, I, but, but I'm also treating myself with no respect and mm-hmm. I'm being sleazy because I wanted the attention from guys because I wanted people to like me. I didn't like me. So if you show me that you like me by being my friend or my girlfriend or a boy, I'm going to take it because I need to be filled somehow because I don't know God yet at this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking whatever I can get. And, and when I can drink and drug and kind of be sleazy and kind of be a sponge of just trying to get people's attention, that's that was what I was doing. Well, you know what? Uh, I uh, I can see. Okay, so when you went from the drugs to the alcohol, and you say it led to something else. What was that something else that you began to do? So it was probably grade ten at this point, and you do in the usual house party at a friend's house. I mm-hmm. overdrank and oversmoked, and I felt really sick. I was at the point where I was probably going to throw up and my friends pulled me into a bathroom um, and they said, Hey, do this line of cocaine because number one, it's going to sober you up a bit. And number two, it's a great time. <laughs> you'll, you'll see. And so I did it. Cause I was curious, of course, like I wanted to dabble. I wanted to see what it was all about. Mm-hmm. And uh, that right there, that the moment I did that line of cocaine was a game changer in my uh, drug and alcohol use. Um, and I, I don't mean it in a good way. I mean, it was the euphoria I felt mm-hmm. I couldn't get enough of it. And, and that now everything else was just a conduit to try and get to the cocaine every weekend. Oh, wow. Wow. So when that happened, you, you, when you expose yourself to the cocaine, how, how fast did it exhalate? Ex, 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 Am I saying that right? Escalate? Yes. Escalate, yeah. I'm trying to say. So on the tip of my tongue, but yeah, how fast yeah. did it exhalate in your life? It, 
it got pretty bad. So that was like in my teens, later teens. Um, I was able to function. I never became a daily user. I managed to have a part-time job and finish school, go into college, but it got to the point where I was, I was using every weekend. I would go out on a Friday and I would try and sneak in the house at like 9am and my parents would be watching TV and having their coffee in the morning. And I'm, I'm sure they questioned but mm-hmm. I was also, once I went out and had one night, I, you know, it was affecting me because on Mondays and Tuesdays, I would barely be able to function. So um, it was affecting my work and my school. It, um, it, I was not reliable. I was, um, you know, making plans with people and burning relationships because I couldn't show up for things to see them. We make a, a plan to go to Wonderland or something, but mm-hmm. I would be all night partying and I'd have to cancel. And then my friends would stop, you know, they would just stop reaching out to me. So I ended up having a, a small group of friends. Um, some of them were, were close, but I had a lot of um, those like fair weather friends where it was just a lot of people that you just partied with. They didn't really care about your week and how you were feeling. They just cared where you were at on a Friday, Saturday night because they wanted you to use. Mm-hmm. Now I have a question here and that is you had a different set of friends, right? Yeah. Now when you began this, this barrel of experience in drug use, were some of those close friends involved in your transitioning and your addiction or you had a whole different, um, friends that only did what you did. And therefore, um, you had two steps of a friend. And the other question I have is, what are some of those for our listeners? What are the things that you noticed for yourself? And even some of your friends noticed the change when you, when that, um, that ex, uh, when you excelled with that cocaine. Um, yeah. So I definitely had different groups of friends. And I also, I always had a lot of different groups of friends because I would go through groups of friends, like in high school, like I kind of made my rounds and, and, you know, I'd hang out with these people and, you know, because I was such a hot mess, I was very um, unstable while I was like, I, you know, while I might've been unstable emotionally going into my drug and alcohol use, I became a hot mess. I became that girl. I get into a group and I think I would just treat myself and them like in just in a way that just wasn't respectful um I had a lot of drama um you know I you know I had a lot of drama with girls and their boyfriends like that kind of drama like or Mm -hmm. just being obnoxious and you know um so I noticed in myself I became extremely um extremely unstable my moods like on a flash I could just be freaking out about something and you know taking the littlest things and blowing them up um and you know with all my different groups of friends yeah there was always the friends that were like the fair weather friends and that's fine because there wasn't really a friendship there they we would just use and have fun together and say we were friends right. but with my actual friends some of them stuck by some of them moved on because I wasn't treat. I wasn't, I wasn't emotionally available to actually be a good friend. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to give what I didn't have. Mm-hmm. So I did lose some really good friends because I couldn't actually be a friend to them because my mind was just focused on me being selfish of mm-hmm. how can I get out of my head? And this is the way I do it. And it's not acceptable to other people. And I'm breaking plans with you all the time. And you also don't respect the way that I'm living my life. So I, um, I did go through a lot of different groups of friends and, um, it was tough because I always felt because of my own behavior, I was like, I always wish that I had friends like the show on friends, 
Well, mm-hmm. I could have that, but I wasn't in a place because I couldn't actually be a friend. Right. You know what? I wanted to ask. Um, I just wanted to make a comment here. You were talking about the mood changes, how your mood yeah. changed. And, you know, there's always different types of triggers that family and friends can look out for in their loved ones uh, when they are struggling with drugs and alcohol or, or whatever, an addiction. And that's one of the things is mood swings. We have to have those eyes. I remember um, sharing a cousin of mine sharing Um, When she heard my story of how I was dealing with drugs, she told me she was like, but I didn't know. I had no idea. And I was around them. But I told her, you didn't know the the triggers. You didn't know the things to look out for. And that's why we have to educate ourselves. What are some trigger signs when when individuals, you said it for yourself, when you couldn't um, keep appointments or dates or whatever commitments yeah. that you made, you break them, you're not showing up for stuff, the mood swings. And um, those are all signs that family and friends need to look out for that there is a possible problem going on with the level. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you brought that out, out uh, Pastor Sarita, because, you know, we overlook these things and we're not, we're not educated enough to notice that, hey, my loved one is in trouble, my friend is in trouble. So It is good to know the signs of anything. I mean, the signs are there when people just going through, but we want to pacify it. We want to, we want to just say, oh, they'll be okay. You know, they're just going through a little something, but yet we are here, you know, as a governing body in the earth to help everyone navigate to that healthier lifestyle of living. So Ashley, can you take us to where about your father doing this whole whole ordeal. It's you, your family, and all of that. What about your father? How does he fit into all of these activities that's going on in your life right now? Yeah, I I think the reason why maybe I got away with it for so long without being approached or anything about it. um, So because my mom had died when I was younger, um, you know, my dad had three kids, and now he was a widow, owned his own business. And mind you, I was not an easy kid. So (laughs) That alone, when I feel a poor man. Um, <laughs> but um, he ended up um, he ended up experiencing his own alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And his was more uh, it wasn't a daily thing, but it was more of a binge. So if my dad started drinking, he would be out for you know days or weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. And so you know, not only did I not want to be around it because it was scary for me to see, um, to see him, you know, bruised and kind of, you know, shuffling around the house and being in his room for, for days at a time. Um, it was easy just to be gone from it. And Mm -hmm. if I didn't have anyone really, and I had my sister and my brother, but you know, they were teenagers and, you know, doing their own thing. And and my sister at that point was in her twenties and out of the house. So it was kind of easy for me just to kind of do my own thing. And, um, not really be interrogated about it. So like back then I used to think it was a good thing. Cause I was like, well, my parents aren't always like, where are you? Where are you? But mind you, I was out doing some really stupid stuff and you know, it could have been worse. Um, right. and it's actually, um, I actually went to my dad about this stuff rather than him coming to me. Um, because I got to a point where I needed to talk to him about it because I couldn't, I couldn't even handle it anymore. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah. You're the one with the problem. You yeah. have this drug problem. You're drinking, you're alcohol, you're, you're drugging. And I want to make this clear. You graduated from high school and was in college. Yes. With yep. all of these issues going and, on. And working at the same time. Yeah. And working. Oh my gosh. And you realize I have a problem. So you go to your dad. 
I did it, you know, and at this point it was probably in my early twenties that I went to him. So I managed to kind of like, just get through life. And, um, it just got to the point where I was, I emotionally couldn't handle it. I, I was miserable. I would Monday to Thursday, I would just white knuckle it through the week to, to do school and to, uh, and to work part-time. And that was, I just, I would get through the week and then I would party. And then for like three days, I'd be miserable. And when I, when I had hangovers or sketches from the cocaine, it was bad. Mm -hmm. So not only did I already hate who I was, I would do these embarrassing things or I would get in a fight with someone and, and then it would just heighten and, and make the situation so much worse. And then I physically was at the point of getting like suicidal thoughts sometimes because of the cocaine sketch. Mm-hmm. And I would hide away in the basement for days trying to recover. And it wasn't working for me anymore. I emotionally was so far down that I just had to say like, and also, you know, my dad, I, at this point, he knew something he knew, like he would look at me and always just be like, Hey, honey, be careful tonight. Like, but not like that was his way of kind of saying, I know what you're up to, but I, I'm not really going to say anything. And maybe he's in denial. He doesn't want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I came out to him and, and because I kept getting in situations, I needed his help. I, there was one time where I had to tell him, listen, I need you to go and drive to go pick up my glasses at someone's house because her sister wouldn't give them to me. And mm-hmm. she, long story short, like, it, I got in this situation and I said, dad, I, I need to be honest with you. I'm using cocaine. This situation happened. And now I need you to help me. Mm-hmm. And from that po- point on, I had to be really honest with him and just let him know what I was going through. But it was also a relief because trying to live in the house and try and be a drug and alcohol like addict and, mm-hmm. um, and, and live with people and try and wear this mask. Like I'm just, I'm just emotional and unstable. And I'm like a young adult just going through her emotions. Like it wasn't working anymore. I couldn't hide it. Oh my gosh. Well, you know what? Take us to um, the incident where you went to your first meeting. We want to hear about that. <laughs> so, so you didn't went through high school and college. You're partying hard. You're using your drugs and alcohol. And, and um, so take us to your first meeting. Yeah. So uh, shortly after I kind of opened up to, to my dad about, you know, everything that was going on, I ended up moving to Toronto. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, the idea popped into my head just to, to do something different. Once again, I honestly, in hindsight, think it was one of those next things that I needed to grasp, grasp for in trying to find some sort of filling of my heart and my, my purpose in life. So I was like, I'm going to move to Toronto because I started working out here. And, uh, I could, I could move out here and I could work or I could, you know, even move out in Whitby, but I was like, well, that's silly. Cause I'd pay the same amount of rent. So I might as well go try the city life. And so I moved out here and I was miserable. I got so depressed. I didn't know anybody here when I moved here. I didn't even think that through. Um, and even though Whitby is like a 40 minute drive, I felt like I lived in a different country. That's, that's how alone I felt here. And even um, just taking the subway somewhere, um, like I would go to the mall on a Saturday just for something to do because I was so miserable and alone. I just wanted to get out and have a reason to go out in the world. But I would I would get even 
so emotional on the subway because I would see people like talking on the subway or, you know, people laughing, going places. And it, it made me um, so, so, so depressed because I didn't have anybody. I moved away from my friends and family. I was living in the city. Mind you, I did come here very broken as an addict. And I, you know, it's almost like I thought it would be a geographical cure as if I was going to come here and start fresh. And it was the opposite. I came here and I realized how, how silly it was of me, but I think it was one of those things I did as just in my, in my uh, broken thinking as an addict, I thought it'd be a great idea to come here. And so um, I decided to try to go to AA. Not that alcohol was just my only issue, but I just knew of it. And so um, there was a meeting really close by. So I decided to go and I walk in there and I sit down and it's a circle and they were doing it where they were going one by one in the circle. And as it was getting closer and closer to me, my nerves started getting uh, a little more shot and I started kind of panicking. So it was like two people away from me and the person was sharing. And I just kind of pulled one of those like, oh, I'm just going to take my purse and I'm going to go walk towards the bathroom. And I ran, (laughs) I ran out of that meeting so fast. And I got on the phone and I called my sister and I was like, I panicked. I I couldn't do it. Um, and that was, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't know what happened. I just, I couldn't do it. Why, why do you think you ran out of that meeting? Uh, I think I was really shy. I was scared. Um, and I think, yeah. And I, I, at the time too, especially then I was afraid to speak in front of people. So God forbid you want me to speak in front of people. And I have to be like, hi, I'm Ashley. I'm an alcoholic and spill my guts. Mm-hmm. And also I find, and I don't mean to um, disrespect groups like this, but I did find too, some people just wanted to sound wise and like, you know, they just wanted to sound a certain way and have an image. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it was less of that raw talk where I felt like, like there was a fear and everyone's staring at me and I didn't know what to say. And so I bolted. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dr. Shipman, do you think that's something that a lot of people feel um, when they attend these group meetings for their addictions? Yeah, there's some, some, uh, some cases, you're right. Some cases, uh, individuals just not ready to share and they will feed into that fear factor. Uh, and they'll use it as a cop out, you know, because these groups make it feel as though you need to instead of having a welcoming group. And there are some that allow you just to come in and listen. The pressure should never be on the individual that's coming that you must share because right. you're there to get support. So it, it doesn't feel good for a person to feel like I'm obligated to share my story because a lot of people have to lead up to that point. But it's right. not designed to have to be pressured. But again, people feed into the fear. I'm not ready to talk. I'm not ready to spill my guts. I'm out of here. And But they yeah. will come back. And I love uh, Ashley's story that she has, and hopefully she'll tell us a little bit more on how she continued to fight even when the relapse kept continued to come. So yeah. yeah. So, so did you go back again? That's the question. I did. And you know what? And, and in most groups, they normally do generally say, like, feel free to say pass. But mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. recall in this group. And I think that's why I ran. I don't think anyone said it. And because everyone was sharing, mm-hmm. I don't think I knew I had the option to pass. And I think that's why I ran. So I think that's also a lesson to people is like, when you have a group, I think it's worth noting at, at the start of every group, just to say, if you don't want to share today, please feel free to pass. Because right. had they maybe said that, I might not have run. Exactly. So 
Um, yeah, so I left and then I don't know how much time went on and I kept trying to live my life and, you know, and, and, and mind you, I also at this time started, uh, my eating disorder started creeping in. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, because I didn't know anyone in the city, I, um, if I did find someone to hang out with and party with, like it normally didn't go well. Cause I was so unstable. I would, you know, get drunk and treat them mean, or I'd black out and somehow thank God I got home. I started coming home and my clothes would be in the living room and I would wake up and think, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. Um, like it was scary. Um, like, oh my gosh, did someone bring me home with someone in here? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I would find out after the fact that I had yelled at someone the night before and ran away. Um, and so when I wasn't, you know, if I didn't have someone to drink with, I then started turning to food. And obviously it was sugary, unhealthy food. Mm-hmm. Um, so that adding on, I I knew I had to go back to that meeting. And I went back to the same one, hoping that people wouldn't recognize me. I wonder to this day if people knew, if they're like, yeah, that, that, you're the time that actually... <laughs> But I did go back and I did end up going for a few years, actually. And I did become part of the home group and I did, I went through the steps and everything, but let's get to the queen of relapse where, um, I started going through the program and I started going through the steps and I could not stay sober in the beginning. I couldn't stay sober more than three weeks to a month, Mm -hmm. um, and it, it just, and I was going through the steps and, you know, I sometimes wasn't telling my sponsor at the time that I relapsed. And, uh, and then, you know, I would, I would always, every time I relapsed, you'd have to go back up and walk up in front of everybody in that open group and go and get your desire chip and your 24 hour chip. Mm-hmm. And I could not tell you how many desire chips I started collecting because I would keep them as a, as a reminder to like, you don't want to add to this pile, Ashley. And I still would, because I was at a point where I still didn't have God yet. I was still trying to figure out what this higher power was. And, um, and it was embarrassing for me. It was uh, some, some of the people made me feel shame for constantly relapsing, not, not allowing for that grace that relapse is a part of the process. Right, right. This is so interesting, Ashley. Please, please, listeners, stand by. Ashley has so much more to share. We will be right back. Yes. <laughs> Are you tired of struggling with lashes and lash glue? Did you throw your hands in the air and give up? Eyes on Tinky has your solution. You can apply beautiful eyelashes in seconds with liquid fire adhesive pen. Yes, liquid fire adhesive pen. For eyes that would scream, look at me, visit eyesontinkyllc.com for all your eyelash shopping needs. Again, that is eyes, E-Y-E-Z, on Tinky, T-I-N-K-I-E-L-L-C.com. Your one-stop shopping for mix and liquid fire adhesive pens. Let your eyes do the talk. Do you know what it feels like to lose everything, feeling a life of hopelessness? Are you determined and ready to rebuild your life but do not know where to start? Dr. Sylvia Shipman is a life recovery coach and counselor and minister with successful years 
of experience helping others activate the power of God within them. With her enlightenment and guidance, you will be able to overcome the grip of addiction like never before and begin to reshape your mind and transform your life. For your one-on-one -on -one consultation, please visit her website, DrSiviaShipman.com. You can also find her on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. With your ongoing contributions, this ministry will be able to reach many who are now suffering. Please become a partner with us, changing and shaping lives one mind at a time. This is your jubilee into your new destiny. Visit her today. Burning love moment. Well, welcome back, everyone. Oh, I know you all are enjoying our special guest, the conversation that we're having, and I hope that you're finding it to be very helpful. For those who may be just joining us with Ashley, you, uh, we call her the Queen of Re Relapse, but we're going to say it this way. She used to have that title. Okay, we don't want to labor her that way, but her right. testimony gives her that beautiful title of, hey, I relapsed so many times, but hey, look at me now. But she was the queen of relapse. Well, we want to continue this amazing story uh, that she is sharing with our audience right now. And we know that alcoholism, drug abuse, and, and being uh, having this binge eating, if you know anyone Anyone that uh, that should be hearing her story, please tell them about a burning love moment on Life One on One Radio. Okay, Ashley, continue to take us on your beautiful journey. Yes, you're, you're relapsing, you're relapsing, you're relapsing. So continue on and let us know when when this connection with God came in. Yes, great. Okay, so. I was still doing just AA and I was going to the meetings and um, I started connecting that like my, some people in, in those groups, you can use anything as your higher power. You could use a chair as your higher power. You can use the group as your higher power. Some people use God. And so I did not have a relationship with God yet. I believed, I, I grew up just believing that God existed and that he created us. And it was that, that was it. I didn't know that it was a relationship with God. And I didn't know the difference of Jesus and God and all this stuff. And so I was starting to learn a little bit through AA, especially because the steps are, you have to rely on a higher power to fix yourself mm -hmm. because we cannot fix ourselves. That's how we got into those rooms. Um, and so I started, you know, people would tell me to do certain prayers and stuff. And I just did them because they said to do them. Um, but I started more and more being like, okay, like God is my higher power. God is my higher power. But then it, it just wasn't working. It wasn't, there was no connection there yet. And so one day after a meeting on a Sunday, um, after a relapse, I had come home and I was at my wits end and I was so sick of being me. And I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired with my life. And so I got home and I got at the side of my bed, literally on my knees. And I, I, you know, reached out to God and I said, God, you know, if you exist mm -hmm. and I hope you do, I need you mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And 
Uh, and I love this part of my life because it, I literally had the most supernatural feeling. Like I actually felt God when this happened. Mm. Uh, I just started crying and I felt like God hugged me and I was all warm and fuzzy and my eyes were just welling up and crying so hard. And I wasn't even trying. It was like this release of all of my pain. And God was basically like, I'm here with you. And it was that Jesus, like coming to Jesus moment where I knew that there was more. And I instantly, that gave me some hope mm. that right there gave me hope that like, okay, I'm not as alone as I think I am in this world. Uh -huh. And I don't know what's going to happen next, but I was like, I need, I need, I need to feel this again. I need more of this. Oh, wow. That, that is absolutely awesome. It just reminds me of the word of God it says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. And, and you have a testimony and you said something that I always say when my life transformed from um, smoking crack cocaine, I became sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you said it, you say you became sick and tired of being you know, sick and tired of doing the same thing. And that's usually the point that we have to get to the call out to God. But you know what? That's not where God wants us to be. He wants us, you know, to experience his goodness. But sometimes when we, we don't receive that and accept it, we have to hit the, the, the low of the low and then realize I don't have anywhere else to turn but to God. Yeah. Yeah. So, so was there any person significant in your life or anything that happened that led you closer to God? Yes. So, um, and I, I always, I always smile when I think of her, I worked with a woman and her name is Susan and, um, she knew a little bit about my story. I'd worked with her for many years and, um, she knew she could tell when I was at work and I, you know, was not doing well. And I had gone to her shortly after this moment because uh, I was like, well, this moment just happened and I need more of God. Well, where am I going to find God? And I'm going to go to his house, which is a church. <laughs> so that's what I always say. I'm like, it's God's house. I mean, the world is God's house, but I think it's cute. And I'm like, the church is God's house. So I went to her because she was the only Christian that I really knew. And I said to her, you know, I, I, I had this moment and, you know, with me kind of being younger because she was like in her late fifties at the time. Uh, maybe it was mid fifties, but anyways, I was like, do you know the church around here that I might like that has some young people that's kind of fun. And, and she was like, Oh my goodness. And um, it was such a God moment because that same day she told me she had the urge to speak to me. So I look at it, nothing less than God once again, revealing himself to me, Mm -hmm. um, and saying like, you've worked with this woman day in and day out for years. And on the exact same day, you decide to both approach each other. Like that is not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. And so she had, um, recommended a church uh, that I go to now in Toronto called the stone church. And I had emailed and I had talked to a pastor there and I went there and I very quickly walked in there and I saw the joy and the freedom and the smiles on people's faces and how nice and loving they were. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I need this. I'm not getting this anywhere. I'm not getting this at AA. I'm getting a lot of judgment and, you know, clicks. And I was like, this is, if this is what it's like to follow God, count me in. And I was actually baptized very shortly after a couple months later. Um, and I was baptized um, May 28th, uh, 2017. Oh, wow. So, yeah. All right. So that means uh, that you've been sober how long, Ashley? 
sorry. I wasn't. <laughs> um, I laugh now. Okay, so I laugh now, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't funny. I can. I'm in a place now that I can laugh. Thank, thank right. goodness. Um, but I was. I was not sober. I and in the beginning of attending church, I immediately because in the program of the twelve steps, you're always told do service because doing service helps you it helps other people helps get out of your head by helping others so you're helping yourself so i immediately joined the hospitality team and i immediately started making excuses on sundays like oh i'm sick i'm not feeling well or because i was hungover and i had not slept that night Mm. so i was attending this church and i was like oh well this church thing isn't really working because i can't show up because of my using And I uh, decided to speak to the lead pastor at the time. He's not there anymore. He's in Florida. Um, But I opened up to him and I said, listen, like I, I need help. Can, can you help me? Maybe, you know, I I know that you, you try and help people and this is what I'm struggling with. And he tried to give me some resources. Um, And um, the second time I, excuse me, spoke to him, he had told me about um, a program that they were getting called Celebrate Recovery, and it would be a great place for me to go and to try it out. So after trying it out and you went through all of that, now how many, how long have you, are you in recovery now? How many, how long have you been in recovery now? Like today? Yeah, today. So today I can tell you that I am over three years sober. (laughs) Yes. Thank you very much. Praise God. Um, but even, even when I started celebrate recovery, I continued to struggle for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now for our listeners who, who don't know, can you tell them a little bit about what celebrate recovery is? I would love to. So celebrate recovery. It's very big in the States. Uh, it's growing here in Canada. Um, it is basically a 12 step program. It's a faith-based 12-step program to help release us from our hurts, habits, and hangups. So people come for all sorts of reasons. So drug and alcohol use, and that's actually only, apparently it's only 3% of the people that attend, uh, or sorry, no, one-third, I apologize, one-third, not 3%. It's one-third of people in Celebrate Recovery. So um, if anyone's struggling with anxiety, with lust, uh, with gambling, with codependency, um, past uh, abuse trauma, anything like that, anything that's keeping you from having a relationship with God and keeping you stuck in a pattern of hurts and hangups, um, Celebrate Recovery is available to everybody. Well, praise the Lord. Yeah, I think that is a great uh, explanation of how this program is so dynamic in our community. I've heard a lot about it. I've never attended, but you have really brought a greater uh, understanding for me, the, the impact that Celebrate Recovery can bring to individuals. And thank you so much for sharing. Listeners, this has been a wonderful time with our wonderful guest, Ashley. We want to thank you for uh, sharing this amazing, blessed platform with us on Life 101 Radio. And we are delighted. I know God is not finished with you yet. Continue that journey with him. I know greater things are still in store for you, my dear. So thank you for joining Pastor Sarita and I on this amazing um, platform of a burning love moment. Thank you, really appreciate that. Uh, You guests, uh, listeners, 
Uh, you are still in store. As Pastor Serena said, this is a sizzling hot uh, new season that we're in in our third season. So hang tight. Our next guest, you're going to be blessed by her. Her name will, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you her name. I want you to come and discover who our guest is. But however, she, uh, her journey is about homosexuality. She mm -hmm. is a minister. That's all I'm going to give you all, listeners, so that you will be excited to know the dynamic of how God is working in everyone's life. No matter what the stronghold is, no matter how it may be feeling like it's so real, guess what? Our next guest is going to talk about how she got set free from homosexuality, the stronghold of homosexuality. All right? All right, Pastor Sarita, take us on, my dear. Tell us yes, how to Ashley, if you have any last words for us oh, yes, listeners out there, if you could just give them some last words of encouragement, please. Absolutely. So um, I, I never really got to finish, but what I'll tell you is that, and this this is my, my word for all the listeners, don't give up. Every time you fall, get up. Because even when I started CR, I fell and I got up. I fell and I got up. And it got to a point of me finally just, the more and more I released myself to God and asked him for his help, you know, I got sobriety under my belt and I'm at three years, but I did not give up. And so that is my advice to anyone listening who's struggling. Relapse is part of the program. It's part of the journey, but just don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And we thank you for making that point. And that's why she was called what had that title, the queen of relapse, because Ashley relapsed many, 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 many times. But what is so amazing about her relapse is that she never stayed down. Each time she relapsed, she got up, she got back on the bandwagon and she continued with her um, recovery until she was successful. And now you heard her say it with her own words, she is three years in. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we want you to know that all of our listeners out there, if you or a loved one is in need of help, please reach out to someone. Did you hear Ashley? She reached out to her dad. She reached out to her pastor. She told these two important people in her life, I need help. Mm -hmm. She knew she needed help. And in, and sometimes we admit it, sometimes we don't, but we're asking you don't try to recover on your own. Reach out. Burning Love Outreach is here. Dr. Sylvia Shipman, she's here um, for you. We're both here to help you be successful in your recovery. And Dr. Shipman, please let our listeners know how to contact you. Yes, for all your recovery needs and your support, as Pastor Sarita have already brought to your attention, do don't know where to turn, you confused and just don't know who to reach out to, we are here. Please visit our website at Dr. Sylvia Shipman, that's D-R-S-Y-L-V-I-A, Shipman, S-H-I-P-M-A-N.com. And you also can contact us by telephone. Some people don't like technology on that level. You can reach me at 877-360-1177. You also can like Dr. Sylvia Shipman on Instagram or Facebook, subscribe to us on LinkedIn and connect with us on, on Clubhouse. Yes, we would love to have you to partner with us by giving a donation to help us end the addiction crisis by changing lives with quality care and commitment. Please go to our website at drsylviashipman.com and select donate now. Thank you listeners for all that you do to make this a success for Pastor Serena and I. 
Yes. And for speaking engagements where I share how I overcame years of addiction to crack cocaine and having numerous warrants issued for my arrest, please visit our website at burningloveoutreach.org. You can comment on our page. You can um, leave a prayer request, a testimony, and even a praise report. And with your help, we can continue to reach those who are suffering from drug abuse and addiction. You are personally invited to become a partner with us so that we can continue to reach the marginalized, please partner with us by giving a one-time donation or become one of our monthly donors. And remember, you can like Burning Love Outreach on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to us on YouTube and LinkedIn. And remember also, don't give in, don't give out, and don't give up. You wake up in the morning, you're not feeling right. Your will is gone, can't put up a fight. Take a Addiction and pain Don't know if you'll feel joy again Take a